When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He serves down the tee with an ace. How's that for composure? How's that for power? From Stefanos Tsitsipas, 210 kilometers an hour. Serving out wide. Backhand return up the middle from Sinner. Forehand in the, down the line from Tsitsipas. Now the off forehand from the Greek. Getting there with the slide was Sinner, but he couldn't get it back over the nets. Tsitsipas, the number three seed. Serving out wide. Sinner's cross-court forehand. Then the cross-court forehand from Stefanos Tsitsipas is a winner. A cheeky smile, a double-handed fist pump to the Rod Laver Arena crowds. The Greek flags emerge around centre courts. Stefanos Tsitsipas has jumped the center hurdle for a second year running, and he is now striding into the quarterfinals. Brett Phillips there with his call on SEN and SENZ, of course, uh, got the benefit of his knowledge there. And uh, that was uh, a weekend that including the downfall of uh, a number of top 10 seeds in the women's side of things. And of course, it was also the end of Andy Murray after a brave fight uh, going down in four sets as well. So uh, interesting now that we hit Monday morning. It's the second week uh, of the Australian Open and uh, Australia still have... Uh, some uh, viable options, particularly Alex de Menor, who's got uh, a showdown with Novak Djokovic uh, on the Rod Lever, Rod Lever uh, Arena. Um, but uh, for our caller, Brett Phillips was uh, amazing uh, and uh, able to call, of, of course, that match that we just heard between uh, Sitsipas and Sinner in a five-set opener. That was uh, a brilliant uh, night out for you, Brett. Uh, congratulations on that. And uh, what did you make of the weekend? Yeah, thank you, Ian. Good morning. Uh, look, it's uh, been a, a big first week. Uh, you know, there's been upsets. Uh, there's been obviously some long matches um, well into the early hours, which has been a huge point of discussion. The uh, scheduling at the Australian Open, but scheduling in tennis in general, um, one of the power brokers probably need to sit around the uh, the boardroom table and just have a, a good look at. But we've got some names left in the draw that we didn't expect and always hard to forecast when you're trying to predict. But yeah, I think the tennis has been uh, top shelf uh, wherever you look. Uh, I mean, it's heaving Melbourne Park. I mean, 94,000 there on Saturday. Uh, the biggest crowd in the tournament's history. Uh, you know, you wander around. I mean, some of the best matches are just in on courts that you wouldn't expect. And, you know, for those that have a grand pass, they just get to see, you know, some wonderful action, whether it be singles or doubles or even the juniors out yesterday, the future stars who might be lifting trophies in 10 years' time. Uh, but yeah, Sinner City Pass was um, a fascinating match last night because it was the replay of, or the rematch, if you like, of the quarterfinal last year where uh, Yannick didn't even get near City Pass. And the way those t- t- first two sets rolled out last night, we thought this is a bit of deja vu, but it shows how far Yannick's come. He's still got a fair bit of work to do. Uh, his record against the top five uh, at the majors and at Masters 1000 level is um, is pretty poor on paper, so he's got to find a way to bridge the gap. But he did a good job to get back into the match because uh, certainly, you know, he was going to that forehand of Pass far too often, and that's where all the winners came for Stefanos last night. And I think this is where the, there's the benefit of coaching now in tennis because Darren Kale and Co in the box, you could 
clearly tell when you know Yannick was down there in talking to him about you know going to the back end more, and that's where the errors came in sets three and four. Uh, Sinner gets a lift, and yeah, it was a pulsating atmosphere on Rod Laver last night. But right now, yeah, Sitsi Pass is is just the a smidge better than uh, Yannick is trying to make up that ground. Okay, let's uh, look at uh, the brave performance too, um, show of uh, Sir Andy Murray. Uh, two lengthy five setters, which were epic, really. Uh, but uh, just uh, a bridge too far with uh, Batista Ragu. Yeah, who's just solid. You know, thirty-four years of age, so he's uh, he's no uh, young fella in the game anymore. He's been around a, a long time. He's um, yeah played a lot of big matches in his career. Doesn't make too many errors out on the court and. He was just able to work Andy over, and you know, I mean, Andy obviously pushed himself to the limit in those uh, first uh, couple of rounds. And look, he's still competing. He's never going to, you know, probably reach obviously the real top echelon again. But he wants to go out on his own terms. He's a, you know, when you see him in the draw, you know, you're in for one hell of a fight. Uh, he's got the uh, the IQ to match out on court as well uh, to deal with some of these uh, bigger hitters. And, you know, from all reports, he's going to play, you know, pretty much a full schedule this year. Uh, Ivan Lendl in his corner. And Ivan, you know, would only be really coaching him, Ian, if he still believed that, you know, Andy could do some damage on the tour. And you just never know. Um, so I think that partnership is a, is a good one in the twilight of Andy's career. And, yeah, gee, boy, oh, boy, did he push himself to the limits. He was like using that racket as a walking stick yeah, <laughs> more often than not in the last week. It's been magnificent, to be honest. It's been one of the lifelines, I think, uh, so far. But now that he's gone, of course, in terms of the veteran stakes, uh, we've got Novak still there, and uh, he accounted for Grigor Dimitrov uh, in straight set, seven six six three six four, um, with this apparent injury. So uh, Novak can making up for lost time uh, of him not being there last year. Yeah, look, he's still a player to beat. I mean, we're obviously just, you know, watching every shot that he plays, every time that he's got a sprint forward, you know, how much is it taking out of his hamstring? It depends who you talk to being around Melbourne Park. You'll talk to some people who will say, no, look, it looks legitimate uh, that there is an issue there. To what point, we don't know. Obviously, sports people, as you know, you know, play through different pain barriers and a day off between slams, he can recuperate, get treatment. He's not giving too much away in terms of, you know, how much. I mean, there's times where he sort of let on that it's not ideal and he's not feeling 100%. There are other people in the corridor you'll talk to who believe that it's all theatrics and that he's playing up to this and it's a bit of mind games with his opponent and that he's actually okay. So, you know, you're getting some contrasting views, but, I mean, obviously he's pushing through to win these matches and he's doing through, uh, getting it done in pretty convincing style. I mean, hand on our heart, you know, obviously Alex Demonor, we're right in his corner uh, tonight. If you're standing around the office uh, drip tray today, people are probably going, gee, I, you know, I'd love to see him win, but it's almost mission impossible when you're playing Novak, particularly at the Australian Open. You know, Demonor is certainly better equipped than I think, you know, in previous meetings against, you know, some of, these, some of the guns of the sport. Uh, but Alex has got to take his chances tonight. He simply cannot sit on the baseline with Djokovic. He just bullies you all the time, Novak. And, you know, Alex has got the wheels. He loves to volley. He loves to get into that forward part of the court. And he's got to take, you know, take some risks, uh, high risk, high reward for Alex. But hopefully, yeah, it, it should be a closer contest than we, what we've seen with Alex against the top players in the past. Tennis Australia's uh, CEO, Craig Tiley, I think has done a, a pretty damn good job pulling this all together again this year. 
Um, but he did cop a little bit of online criticism about the same scheduling time for Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic. Not much sure he can do too much about that because you've got to remember Andy Murray knocked a couple of guys over that probably he thought would have been playing. Mm. Yeah, look, the scheduling is one of the hardest things in tennis uh, throughout the course of a year, but you know certainly at a grand slam. If I if I think back to a, a couple of nights ago, you know we had obviously the four main courts: uh, Rod Laver Arena, John Kane Arena, Margaret Court Arena, and the new Kia Arena, all operating at the same time, seven o'clock slot. Uh, so you had eyes everywhere, and there was a bit for everyone. Wherever you could get a seat on those respective courts, you were seeing some uh, top-line players. The bigger picture of, you know, should the sport be playing at 4 a.m. in the morning, uh, 2.30 this morning when Victoria Azarenka finished her match, yeah, I, I sort of sit in the corner that, okay, this is not happening all the time. Uh, tennis uh, is unique in a sense, but it's all—it's almost like tennis uses it as a little bit of a badge of honour uh, that we're the only sport that would actually you know, play at this sort of uncivilised hour. The hard bit is you put on a match, you know, if a match starts at 10 o'clock at night, you don't know if it's going to go an hour, two hours, three hours or four hours because there's no clock on tennis. Could we start the sessions earlier? I mean, I think a think tank is probably needed. You know, could we start the day session an hour earlier at 10 o'clock? Do we stack up more matches during the day? Maybe just play one marquee match at night. The, the problem is if a player withdraws or you have an injury, what are you left for for the punters who are playing you know, good money to come to Rod Laver Arena? Or do you play two women's matches, best of three, and we finish and people get home by you know 11.30 midnight? So I think there's a bit, a bit of thinking, a bit of tinkering to do, but you know it's not like it's happening all the time. And do we just... On the other hand, except that, well, sometimes we're going to get a 4 a.m. finish or a 2.30 a.m. finish. But, yeah, I think it's probably now on the radar more than it ever has been. And this is the thing with tennis, Ian. The hard bit is you've got all these governing bodies, right? Everyone's got a different say. Everyone's got their own backyard to look after. And there's not a commissioner who sits over the top to say, no, we're going to do it this way. Seven bodies have got to try and come together and actually form, you know, one approach, which is not always easy. No, um, and that's, I, I guess, akin to a lot of sports as, as well. Uh, Brett, let's uh, stay with the women's side of things. Um, away from the scheduling, uh, it was a carnage for the top uh, and, the, and the, some of the top seeds there um, and uh, some real surprises. Yeah, it's a, it's a women's draw that's lost a, a stack, hasn't it? I mean, look, Iga Fiontech going out yesterday, and as almost invincible as she was in 2022, I mean, women's tennis... There's, you know, there's been more unpredictable results, certainly, than the men that, you know, the last probably 10 years. And she plays against a player yesterday, Elena Rybakina, I mean, Wimbledon champion. She she won that Wimbledon title last year on the back of a big serve and a really big power game. And when it was on, it was a, it was a tsunami coming at you. I mean, almost unstoppable. And Eager loves to play up the court, taking the ball early, redirecting, dictating the points. Rybakina pushed her back. And she's only got to be a little bit off eager and she can be taken down. Um, so right back in a Ostapenko is not the quarterfinal we imagined. We thought Coco Goff would get past Ostapenko. So that's an interesting part of the draw. But Jessica Bagula, whose backstory, I think everyone's learned about the backstory of Jessica Bagula, who's now the best equipped player left in the draw. She's playing the best tennis of her life in this tournament. She has been outstanding as the third seed, trying to get past the quarters for the very first time. 
but I, I like her chances. Then you've got Garcia, you've got Sabalenka, you know, Bencic, it's her time to step up. Um, there's still Azarenka left in the draw, you know, who's been a two-time champion, who wants to win more trophies in the you know, second mm. phase of her career. So it's a big second week with a lot of yeah, hot competition in the women's draw. Yeah, I've I got to say, I, I think experience could be a big factor with Sabalenka. I, I'm, I'm liking her as well. I did watch Bagula play yesterday. Uh, Krejcikova, I thought, was a, a real factor, but she demolished her, really. Well, she's upped her game. Uh, this is, you know, it's, it's really noticeable uh, from probably a year ago. She's cranked up the power. And, uh, you know, obviously players are always making adjustments every year with their racket tension, type of racket they use. Uh, but she's getting more pop off the ground. There's no doubt about that. And she's got that look. I mean, she's quite a – I love her demeanour. Uh, she's uh, really sort of got that self-assuredness, but she's calm um, and she's got a bit of fire in the belly. It's, it's sort of that good mix. Her emotions don't get, you know, too out of control. And I think she's now got the belief uh, that, you know, she really belongs and that she can win one of these. Uh, she had a lot of injuries across the journey. Uh, she, you know, probably there's no way anyone would have predicted she would have become the world number three and maybe a Grand Slam champion. So she's put her head down and right now, and she's coached by David Witt, who was the longtime coach of Venus Williams. So what he's been able to bring to her game, which we can't always see behind the scenes, is you know absolutely invaluable. Not the fairy tale finish that uh, Sam Stoser wanted uh, to her illustrious career, of course, being. Eliminated uh, early in the, both the women's doubles and the mixed doubles, uh, Brett. But um, a real and emotional uh, time for Sam Stozer this tournament. And, of course, she's been really the backbone of uh, women's tennis. There have been some stars come and go, but Sam Stozer's been a constant for a long, long period of time. Yeah, well, certainly before Ash Barty came along, Sam was our, our, our number one and, and obviously our most successful player of the past uh, couple of decades. And, you know, people, I think, um, they probably harshly judged Sam at times only because we never saw her play her best tennis in Australia and people would put a mark next to her stoza has gone out first round, uh, disappointing, shanking forehands. And then they forget, oh, yeah, she won a US Open. She made a French Open final, uh, world number one doubles player, uh, I think eight or nine singles titles, you know, a lot of wins, top four in the world in terms of her ranking. I mean, when you add all that up together, you know, performing in mixed doubles, um, women's doubles, singles across the majors, she has put together a fantastic career. And she was really the architect of the kick serve in women's tennis. And at the time, you you could argue no one was fitter than Sam Stozer. And she brought a real physical presence to the game. I think maybe still in her biggest legacy is still to come. And uh, her and Ash Barty uh, coming together, not necessarily coming together, but um, they will be now really focused on uh, player development to lift our women because the cupboard is extremely bare here in Australia and this is where they could have the biggest imprint to really guide and mentor these young girls and and get them up to the level where they can compete on the world tour. Uh, Brett, I know you've been busy uh, watching and uh, calling tennis, um, but have you had a chance to watch the, uh, the Breakpoint series on Netflix? Yeah, I'm up to episode four, so I haven't watched it in, in its totality. Uh, it's funny, you know, talking to a lot of people during the week, a lot of people have sort of thought it's a little underwhelming. Uh, it just depends, yeah, w- which lens you see it from. I think a lot of people have said, oh, maybe they could have gone behind the scenes a lot more because that's what we always want to see, you know, into the player cafe, into the player locker room, uh, you know. Um, so 
I don't. I, I like it. I mean, I love tennis, obviously, and uh, there are some really good things behind the scenes and some good revelations. You know, hearing from, you know, the competitors and their ambitions and aims and you know their struggles at times. Um, so I think, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it in its in its totality through the year because I'll release, I think, five more episodes uh, later in the year. But yeah, I, I think it's it's good. Um, have I seen some better ones on Netflix? Maybe. You know, I think it's all very subjective, but yeah, it's, it's given people a bit of an insight, certainly into the uh, the tennis world. That's for sure. Aside from uh, Alex, the menor in action uh, on behalf of Australia, uh, later uh, highlights today to look forward to for us viewing and listening overseas over here in New Zealand. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to the clash between Andre Rublev. Uh, that's third up on Rod Laver Arena today, taking on Holger Rune, the uh, young sensation from uh, Denmark. I mean, Rublev's trying to get past a quarter for the first time. He is a fierce ball striker, and Rune's just, uh, well, he's an incredible athlete at, what, 19, 20 years of age, uh, just eats, sleeps and breathes tennis. So that is the the matchup that stands out on paper. And just watch out for this kid. And he knocked over our very own Alexi Popram on the weekend. But Ben Shelton mm. from the US is going to be absolute top 10 material going forward. Lefty, college graduate last year. His father, Brian, played on the tour, got to world number 55. This is the first time that he left America to play professional tennis. Loved his interview on court. Um, is It's just a, a, a little nice inner self-confidence there without being cocky. And he's taking on fellow American today, uh, JJ Wolf, who's come from nowhere <laughs> with his ranking in the last 12 months. But, yeah, Ben Shelton, mark him down, uh, is one of the future stars of the game. Brett Phillips doing a terrific job uh, calling tennis on our, our behalf. We're loving your work, and uh, thanks so much for your time this morning. Uh, I realise that you're a very busy man at this time of the year. Uh, cheers, no, mate. Pleasure. I appreciate your insights. Loved it. Good on you. Thank Ian. you. Great to chat. Thank you.